Welcome, welcome, welcome to Studio Secrets A to Z, and I'm Anthony J. Resta, and I am here with our distinguished guest, Doug Cower, the man behind the creation of Cower Guitars, and uh, truly a life-changing instrument for me, and I, I wanted to learn all about um, everything about it, and we welcome you today. Thanks. For yeah, coming. good to be here. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks so much for coming, man. I mean, I think I met you like two NAMM shows ago. And um, I just, the, the guitars, like, you know, visually, they're just so, like, the, the finishes are like nothing else I've ever seen. It's like, we could probably start there, but I mean, maybe go back a little further and let's, let's talk about, like, your, you growing up and, and all that stuff first. Like, tell me, yeah. tell me about your life. So my, my dad's a cabinet maker. Okay. Uh, well, he was. He's retired now. Uh, but yeah, I grew up doing that. Um, you know, we started in our garage. He was making stuff uh, for fun. Uh, I always wind this story up to be super long, so I'll try to no, condense no, no, it a we, little we, bit. We, no, I, I, like to hear, I like the details. Yeah, but I, you know, basically growing up, my mom gave us the choice that you could go to summer school or you could go to the shop. Uh, but we could not be home all summer. That was a <laughs> non-option. And so I always went to the shop. My brother went to summer school and, uh, I, you know, I just grew up doing that stuff with him, building cars, you know, always kind of working with my hands and stuff. And I wanted to be a teacher. I did not want to be self-employed. I, I went through that with my parents' business and I was like, no, I, I, I want a real job. I don't want to deal with this. That's tough. And I was uh, a third of the way through my credential. My wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. Uh, no, I think we were married at this point, but she was a little further ahead of me. Um, and I had been building guitars kind of off and on building is the wrong word here. I had been making like bodies and stuff and, and kind of putting together essentially some tellies and strats and making stuff on our equipment at the shop for friends. And, uh, so we bought our first house and I went back to work full time so she could finish cause she was closer to being done. Uh, cause ironically for a guy who wanted to be a teacher, I spent an awful lot of time, uh, hating homework and waffling <laughs> through college, uh, and changing majors a bunch of times. And, but, uh, yeah. And so, Kind of that ended up happening right around the time of the recession. This is like 07, 08, okay. uh, which we bought our house at a wonderful time uh, right before all that. Oh, uh, and so there was no cabinet work to do. And I was just building guitars to pass time. And, and I had designed what became the Daylighter. Just again, that was kind of for fun. Uh, it was the second thing. It was probably the first thing I ever designed from scratch. It was the second guitar that I kind of ever completely did from scratch. So like what became Banshee was the first thing I ever made where I made the neck fretboard and all of it. Uh, and that's kind of a complicated guitar to learn on oh at that God. point. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, then in the daylighter and then, which is just a jazz master meets Les Paul kind of mashup. Yep. Uh, so it's like a carved top jazz master, but you know, 24 and three quarter scale, Gibson, e, you know, pickups, get spec, all that. Uh, and so people kind of dug it and started asking me if I was selling those or building them and selling them. And because there was nothing else to do, mm. I was started doing it. Wow. Uh, and then like an idiot, I kind of <laughs> fell in love with it and decided <laughs> I wanted to do this and been stubborn enough to stick with it ever since. Well, how long ago? So that was what the first one was built in what year then? Like 2000. So Banshee, what became Banshee? So those first ones were like 2006, 2007. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, a so, long time so ago. That, so those were serial numbers, low serial numbers, right? Like so, one. Yeah. Do, actually, do that, you see them surface anywhere? Like, uh, sort of. So the very first one I built, 
I broke the headstock off of it within 24 hours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was it actually was kind of serendipitous. And ironically, today we had a banshee that the headstock got broken on, which we'll circle back to later. Uh, but it had the fundamentals were there. But what had happened on that one was it had a dual action truss rod, which we still use. But the way those truss rods are designed, the adjustment nut is on the bottom of the truck rod, essentially. Yep. So I took like the big Gibson scoop out of the headstock for the truss rod nut. Yep. Uh, and I, I'm going to put blame on SKB here, but this is my fault. So I got an SKB case for it and I picked the case up and the handle came up and the case did not. And oh. I was like, oh, come on, guys. So I, you know, called, I think it was musicians for Sweet Water and they replaced it. But in the meantime, I was going to go out and play it at a friend's like his gig or whatever. And so all I had was one of those cheap, like Epiphone ballistic nylon gig bag, you know, whatever. And so I threw it in there and I went to sling it over my shoulder and I missed for some, I think I was trying to do six things at once. And I just went straight over the back of me head down first and just broke the headstock. Oh my gosh. That's so sad. And so, uh, I ended up fixing it actually was the way it broke was so clean that I kind of built this like. I kept it under string tension and then I kind of built this weird like zip tie tourniquet on the backside to kind of pull it back in, like flooded it full of glue and pulled it back into position. Uh, and so the takeaway I learned very quickly on that was we don't want it like the way it broke, it broke right across that big scoop out for the truss rod nut. So ultimately what that led us to was on the next ones, I started putting the truss rods in upside down. Uh, which made them adjust backwards, but all I ended up having to do was take like a quarter inch by quarter inch square channel out. So very little headstock material removal. I see. It keeps uh, it stronger. And that, yeah, and that made a, and that was across the board for everything. Um, and so that solved that problem and eventually found a place to build our truss rods for us specifically that are upside down, but adjust the correct direction. Um, but yeah, so I, I had that for a couple years, few quite a few years, and then I loaned it to, uh, Mason Stoops and oh, he's, he's a friend. I know. Oh, I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Yeah. That and be, he, that's where I discovered you guys first, I think. Probably because he has a daylighter and some other stuff, and, yeah. but he borrowed that from me. And then now again, this is probably a testament to my zip tie tourniquet repaired. He took it to a gig first show that he played it at. And then I think he left it flat and the other band's guitar player stepped on it, broke the, rebroke the headstock. <laughs> and that's, where it's whatever graveyard it's in, you know, I don't think it's ever been fixed. Wow. Uh, and then, you know, from there, uh, yeah, I mean, I do have like my, you know, in those rounds of early guitars, like my father-in-law has one. Uh, my dad has one. I don't really have any guitars of mine at this point, at least in functional form that predate probably 2000, like 16, 17. Well, wow. you know, like I've never had a, I've never, and we can circle on this. Banshee is that guitar I always want to like, but I, I just like it. I'd like it. I build one for myself and then someone would talk me out of it. Like I never was super attached to any particular one. Um, and then when we started doing the deluxes, which has the maple top, that's the one that kind of finally was like, Oh, that's that last little tweak that I wanted sonically for me personally. Sure. That's uh, and I, I have. I, yeah. And I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of maybe keep getting this. Zoom, like it's, uh, no, you can't quite. Yeah. You can kind of see it. It's in the background okay. over here, but my yeah. other stuff, it's, it was literally, it's the longest I've ever kept a banshee in it. That one went to 
was like one of the first Lexus and it went to guitar player or guitar world for review, like right at the end of 2019. Uh, and they had it, uh, and it didn't come back till about halfway into 2020 in the pandemic. And so I kind of honestly just kept it just in case we needed like a piggy bank month, you know, like, yeah. a, like something I could sell quickly yeah. to help make things meet. Cause sure. Banshee's always kind of easy to sell. And then I just kind of never put it up for sale. I kept it. I love it. Is it a neck through body too? Yep. Yeah. So yep. uh, were they all, yeah. like, were they all like that or were there some? Yeah. From yeah, the beginning. From the yeah. Beginning. And so the, the deluxe is exactly a normal banshee but we essentially just mill the top down around the fretboard uh and like it just underlaps the fretboard a little bit um but like that took me a long time to figure out because it being a neck through we couldn't just throw a slab of you know maple on the top it would throw all the geometry off yeah so finally i realized that the easiest thing to do is just basically mill down for the maple apply the maple around the you know the neck tendon essentially but you know it's a set neck and then all the geometry still works out and it doesn't have a piece of maple, but you know, cause the, if you're looking at it, this is super useful for a podcast where I'm miming this with my hands, but no. you got that neck angle and otherwise, and the maple would have run out through it and it would have met eventually at some point, the neck would transition from mahogany to somewhat to maple. And I didn't want to have a seam in there right. in the wrong spot, especially where it would be, you know, very likely to have it create a hump or something. So I think that uh, the resonance that the guitar has, has something to do with that, how it, you can feel it like vibrate against your body, even if you're not plugged into mm -hmm. an amp or something, there's, it's just such a resonant guitar. And yeah. the way you set mine up, um, I mean, we could talk about a little bit about the Plex machine too. Like tell us sure. a little bit about that. I saw that for the first time on one of your videos and I never even heard. Yeah. Of it. So we've wanted, it's kind of one of those things. It's, uh, serendipitous a little bit uh we've i wanted one of those since i went saw one the first time at the first name i ever went to as a as an attendee you know forever ago 15 years ago and you know a couple of times we've come up close to buying one and then we'd have to buy some other piece of equipment like the yeah. you know the uv booth or uh last time or the last time we almost bought one we ended up buying the new cnc which is thankful because the old one is officially dead as of this year. Wow. Um, <laughs> as of like two weeks ago, <laughs> That's uh, but you know, we, we've kind of come up to it a couple times and like, we always, I had a good reputation for doing good fret work. I mean, if you do it enough, you get good at it, but fret work is always difficult because when it's not going right, it's usually not where you think the problem is where you're having a problem. Usually the actual cause is up the neck somewhere else or something. You know what I mean? Sure. And, so it kind of became this thing where like the first assembly guy that really kind of took over assembly, we went from being just me to a couple of people, you know, like Andrew, who's been with me the longest, he has still fretted every cower for the last 13 years. He's, you know, and when we were doing it by hand, we would like, if he was not there, no necks got fretted because he and Ben, who was the guy at the time had such a, Ben knew intrinsically after doing it long enough, how Andrew fretted the guitar. And so he would kind of, and, and vice versa. Like if I came in and fretted one, they would be slightly different. Yeah. Um, and so it was very difficult to scale, you know, eventually to have to have two people uh, doing that kind of job or three people. And for me, I was kind of thinking about this earlier. I was describing this to a friend. It's not, horribly difficult to build an amazing guitar every once in a while, you know, sure. where you're, if you don't, if you don't have money and time pressure and people waiting, like if you just have unlimited resources and time and money, you can build an exceptional guitar twice a year, three times a year easily. 
you know, the hard thing for us is to scale. How do we build? Maybe not. And, and, and if you build a truly amazing guitar, that means some that the you, the only way that compares is that you have built guitars that aren't truly amazing. <laughs> so our, my goal is like, I want to build really great guitars every day. Yeah, maybe, and then occasionally maybe you'll get one that every like those little plus or minus variances in the wood, the pickups, the whatever those things stack up, and you get one that's a little more exceptional. Yeah. But I don't want to like we have to do that twice a day every day. That's our goal uh, is to get two of them put a day to put get you know put together. And so the Plex has been amazing because what that I think where it gets it had kind of a bad reputation early on because it's like anything else like the CNC is like oh I want you know. I want Geppetto who handmade my guitar with a rock and a chisel. And that yeah. makes it the best one ever. And I'm like, it, it, it doesn't yeah, like yeah. CNC's take all the magic out of a guitar. I'm like, here's what a CNC does. It keeps my fingers away from the big spinny bit of death. That's it. Like it's only as good as the guy who programmed it, which is me, which is not very good. Yeah. So, you know, it's taken a long time to make these little tweaks, but there is like, when we go from like our old machine, which was, you know, built in the late nineties and ran, you know, 386 processor with, you know, a uh, 16K of RAM. You go from that to what is our more current machine, which is still not what I would consider like aerospace grade or something that's, you know, super high tech, but 22 years of improvement. There is a whole thing, realm of things that have been unlocked using that machine now that we're starting to take advantage of. But the Plex was like that, where its biggest benefit for me is now we... We used it for three or four different things, but the first thing we got it for was doing our final fret cutting, you know, the, the crown, essentially the crowning process. And so where that is amazing is we put that thing in under string tension and it comes in and has a, a scanning probe essentially. And it measures the entire neck everywhere. It maps the entire fretboard surface, the string path, the frets, the fretboard surface, the nut, the string, you know, all of that. And then I can see very clearly digitally on the screen, what is going on with that neck at each string position at each fret all the way up at the neck. And so that makes, that takes out of the equation that touch that yeah. understanding of, you know, if it's buzzing at the 19th fret, just in these two spots, it's really the 21st fret over here, you know, like we can see it. All now. That, it's like, and so, yeah. and so teaching that to people is easier uh, and what it does is it makes all of the processes before that point. So material selection for the neck, how we machine the neck, how we spline the neck on the mahogany necks, how we glue a fretboard on, how the fretboard is radiused on the CNC, how the fret slot depths are, how the fret tang is, how we're seating the frets themselves, all of those steps. Now we can start seeing it in aggregate. Like, oh, the last 50 necks we've done, you know, where we've changed this process, this is or this isn't doing what we thought it was. Uh, and so now we're reaching this point uh, where I've gone insane with it. Uh, I've gotten <laughs> I've gotten kind of borderline nuts. So when we started doing the uh, Corona model the, with the bolt-on mix again, um, we I really liked pocketed fret slots. Uh, so when we do all the 24 and three quarter scale stuff, we just that's why all the fretboards are bound regardless because the way those are made on the CNC, it uses a saw blade uh, across it, so we can't do pocketed. Yeah. Uh, so we just everything gets bound. So like if you ever see a you know a banshee with a fretboard that doesn't look bound, it just has black binding on it. Uh, it just blends in so well you can't see it. Uh, but on Coronas, 
part of the way we have to make that neck is it's facing in the wrong direction on the CNC for the saw blade to work anyway. Um, and by that point, we had the Plex, which had the option to do fret slotting. So we started making those necks, and I have this partially because we couldn't do it any other way on the old scenes because it didn't have the power. I had this router bit essentially made and it's terrifying, but it's like three inches around and it's half of a 12 inch radius. Uh, or so what it does is when we run the fretboard, it basically goes down on one side and comes back up the other to form the radius. And that was a massive improvement over how we used to do it, but we still have to like on the, on the set necks and Banshee, We'll make that fretboard. Then we glue the binding on. Then we trim off the binding on the backside. Then we glued on a neck. Then we put the inlays in it. Then we level the whole thing back off again. And then it goes in and gets spreaded. And so there's a bunch of steps in there that, that basically undoes the accuracy of the CNC. So when we started doing the Corona necks, we, you know, it's, it's a fender style neck. So essentially, once we route the truss rod channel, we throw a slab of Wenge on there. And then it goes back on the CNC after it's glued up. And we actually cut the binding, glue the binding in on the machine, and then it comes in and makes the entire neck minus the slotting. So it does the inlays, radius is it, mills it all to shape, you know, it's all done. And those necks come off really accurate because they're all done, because the fretboard's already glued on, any clamping variance gets milled out. So for a while, all we were doing was slotting those fretboards on the plate. And then we kind of reached this point where I'm like, okay, I got to teach somebody else how to do this because if Andrew's out sick or he eventually after 13 years realizes he should get a real job uh, and <laughs> leaves me, we're going to be in trouble here. Uh, and so we had one of our newer guys because it with the Corona next, even though they came off the CNC really nice, it does kind of like we would try to put the inlays in first, but it would tear them out. So we would put the inlays in and then just kind of quickly relevel the fretboard. Um, we tried teaching Diego who does all the CNC, kind of taking over all the CNC work for me. Uh, and he just, and I love it. It's not a slight against Diego. Andrew's done it thousands of times. Now Diego has not. And the Plec was very honest about, Oh no, like your center line's drifting now on the radius or this corner got knocked down, you know, or whatever. And it wasn't like it was unfixable or anything, but it was like, okay. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, the Plec will also do fretboard leveling. Uh, and it, you know, and so we, it adds time to it and we do it very quickly on the other machine, but if we're only really just kind of skimming off the inlays and just doing one last final correction, maybe we should do that. So then we started doing that and it's a, you know, huge difference immediately. Like, okay, now it's much easier for me to teach Diego to how to load the machine, bring up the program that scans it off and we go, okay, this is the line to cut it at, be done and walk away. Then it is to teach him a thousand guitars worth of hand touch. Yeah. And, and so we started doing that and then it became, well, Hey, we should be doing everything on here. And so, you know, we started doing all the set necks and that's where we really could see now what was going on post gluing that fretboard on the, before Andrew was kind of fixing it by leveling it off. And like, we were seeing this kind of, you know, essentially S pattern in the neck where they would get, you could basically see where the clamps were and where you were between clamps, you know, and it was just the call that was kind of doing the pressure. And it's not like we're talking like a quarter inch. We're, we're looking at stuff at a thousandth of a millimeter. Wow. Uh, you know, so we're looking at incredibly tight resolution though. That's what the Plex says. I think probably we're looking at like 
you know, maybe a hundredth of a mil, ten to a tenth of a mil, it's somewhere, still, you know, realistically. More, the, the wood itself will vary day to day from humidity more than that. Wow. So then we started doing all of that surface on there. And immediately, because we can see, you know, especially at that point, it was in the plec- in the history based on serial number, we could see that thing go from rough glued on to final fretboard surface to fretted and then final end, end result and seeing those improvements massively. So now, okay, that's a long wind up to how this is. So now my obsession is, uh, I was playing again. The only time I get to actually play guitar anymore is like the 10 minutes I'm waiting for my kids to, you know, put their shoes on or <laughs> whatever it is before we go anywhere school, yeah. even if someplace they want to go. So a lot of times that's what I'm actually just sitting and playing guitars on the couch to keep from honestly to losing my shit and screaming at them. Uh, and I was playing my banshee and it was just coming into winter time. And the one thing about kind of the way we do the plaque process, the neck is set pretty flat, um, you know? And so it's fine because early on when we do it, once the guitar has been strung up for a while, it'll usually pull into the little bit like it has relief, but it, I usually like a little bit more relief, but we want it to get there kind of naturally but it does make them a little sensitive to when winter hits and you're running the heater or whatever, you know? Yeah. And so I was playing this thing and I was like, man, it's a little buzzy on just the low side, just a tiny bit. And I probably, if I was playing more guitar and my hands were a little stronger again, it'd probably go away. I could probably raise the bridge, you know, a quarter turn and it would be fine. I could put, a tiny bit of relief in it and it would be fine, but it plays so good and it's totally fine from the D all the way to the high E. And so I started doing on that and I was like, okay, if we're doing this fretboard surface on the plaque for everything, I can tell it. Why can't I tell it? And I, and I figured out how to do this to just put basically like when we, we do the fretboard surface right now, it's just kind of a straight shot with a little bit of relief or not relief, uh, fall away at the, like past the 16th, 17th fret. Why can't I tell it leave high E through D straight, but as it goes from D and then a little bit more at the A and then a little bit more at the high or low E intentionally mill some relief in that neck. So that one side is flat and the other side where the string has a much bigger orbit anyway is got like three or four thousands extra relief kind of built in uh and so that's the rabbit hole we're chasing now and we've been doing that for about two months and it's one of those things like and we can only do this on the plate because i could not do that by hand and duplicate it no first of all and i had to get the guys who do so it's logan and, and harrison who do the final and do the final plucking like i had to reset how we have the plec our standard set in the plec to account for that because you could just mill it out completely by accident. Like I want wanted them to get used to seeing that, you know, a lot of times we would scan the neck and we'd see like the bass and treble side have slightly different relief and we'll split the difference and then do our fretwork from there. And I'm like, no, I want to see that bass side have, I want the treble side flat, I want the bass side, you should see three, four thousands. Uh, and then, and do it to that. And so I kind of been jokingly calling it the compound relief neck, but it seems to be, like, like yours doesn't have that. Yeah. Uh, this is fairly recent. And like, I don't know that anybody would notice. And I don't even know if this number is so small that in a month from now, the humidity is going to wipe that out anyway. Maybe we do need to pull a bit more in, but it's, it seems to be working really effectively. Well, the, the, the experience I had with the guitar, um, 
it's it was like you know I played a lot of wonky old like sixties Supros and like K's fifties sure. K's, you know, and Harmony Rockets, and I just got used to like yep. moving my fingers to get things in tune, and you know, it's just, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like okay, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna play this part of the neck, I have to tune this way. I got to make sure that yep. the G is a little bit flat, and all these things that you do to try to you know save your time when you're doing multi layers yeah. of guitars as a producer, and with with instantly with with um the Banshee it was like all of a sudden everything was i it literally felt like power steering it's like i've i've had nice guitars i've probably had 60 guitars in my lifetime but i'd never sure. experienced something like this because it literally felt like a almost like a different instrument and it was like i couldn't believe how much faster <laughs> i could get a bunch of tracks layered and in tune sure you know and the other, yeah. the other day or maybe three or four instagram posts back i was playing two different octave pedals high up on the neck doing roots and fifths and it it, it shouldn't be in tune but it's it was, I was <laughs> I, 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 it was in tune and i was able to to do like four tracks of each chorus in like yep half an hour you know whereas it used to take me three four hours you know so i mean it's really changed the amount of time it takes me to get things done and it just it and then i go and i go back to one of my wonky like a 50s k and it's like i like the sound of those kleenex box pickups and everything but it's like oh my god it's like pulling teeth you know so (laughs) you've kind of ruined my life is what i'm telling you well i I like hearing that (laughs) yeah the funny thing is i get people are like well why is okay this is gonna sound extremely conceited and i don't mean to be like no, I've had people like, why is this play better than X, Y, Z of mine? And I'm like, I don't have a good explanation in terms of like, we're not, I'm, okay, this compound relief neck thing that I'm working, this is maybe, like I said, it may, it just may make me feel special, but like, <laughs> that's only in the last few guitars. I, I mean, I have a long history of building guitars now. Like, I don't feel like we're doing anything that anyone is, else is incapable of. Uh, I think just that ability and that mindset of like, and maybe it is partially laziness. Like I, how do I do this in the easiest way possible, which makes it therefore the most repeatable way possible. And you know, if I'm going to do it and I want to repeat it, I want it to be a good, I want the thing to be good. So that, and then if it's repeatable, then I can make small adjustments and see those adjustments repeat. And then that's how the ball kind of keeps moving forward. You're getting rid of like Uh, the variables that make inconsistencies happen. And I can see why that has to be, you know, it's a real thing with pickup winders like i we had a customer uh called me today and he was picking my brain on a couple pickup winders and i'm like it's like man i you know there's a lot of great pickups out there but the thing that i can say about lawler and tv jones and wolf tone and like and i have my particular favorites within those three companies of what we use them for i never have one that doesn't sound right i never have one that doesn't sound like the one before it the one after it the one two years from now and the one two years from before they yeah. always sound the way they're you know and then that so that takes that variable out of the equation of like okay now we've made this change does it you know or this guitar is different sounding is it different because it's the pickups is it different because something we did and once i can kind of be like no the pick the pickups are within that plus or two you know minus two percent thing you know, consistency wise, and we're trying to be within plus or two, you know, plus or minus a couple percent, then we can see the little incremental changes add up and stuff. And, and it, it helps. That's cool. I love that the, the TV Jones, um, with that, you have the reverse face. They're so good. I mean, they're, they're so good. I, know, and like, <laughs> I, I grew up like, you know, like, you know, in the like 20 years ago, like I had somebody gave me a 57 Gretsch, um, duo sure. jet. Um, and I had it for, I don't know, 10 years before he, 
uh, needed it back, which <laughs> that's like a, like a really bad day, you know. I have so, yeah. I have, funny, I, have, I have funny stories like that because I, I used to hang out at this Chinese bar called the Wulun Ming in Bilrica, and there was this dude that sure. used to come in there every night. It was like on my way home, and he's like, "I got this guitar under my bed. It's it's like it was my my grandfather's. It's just sitting there. It's like, do you want to borrow it?" And I'm like, "Well, what is it?" And he he brings it to the studio, and it's a '65 uh, Jag. You know, like oh sure, <laughs> and it's the American-made one, and it's like it's like mint, yeah. you know, and it's got the pickup covers. It's it's like brand new, and it's like so. I had it for years, and I, I loved that guitar. Like I mean, it was just incredible. And then one night he showed up around midnight, really, <laughs> really drunk, and I opened the door. He's like, "I want my baby back." <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, oh, uh, good on you for having it for so long without, you know, it was like 10 years or something, you know, it was amazing. But yeah, so, you know, I get attached to uh, certain sounds and styles and things and like the early yep. Gretsch stuff. Uh, and I, I, I had a, and then I got a 58 and then I've, I've got like a one with TV channels. Yeah. I love the Gretsch style of yeah everything. And there's something Banshee that's a little Gretsch-y, but it's, it's totally, it's totally its own thing. But uh, I, we definitely do a lot of worship at the Isle of St. Gretsch, uh, yeah. especially when it comes to aesthetics and colors, obviously like I, it's, the rule of thumb is if there's a debate about gold hardware, if that color on a Gretsch gets gold hardware, it is the correct choice. Uh, <laughs> always, you know, it's tradition. And, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and like the power trons are not, you know, a, that's the thing. Like I actually don't like, like I have a uh, 60 single anniversary and an original 60. And there's a story on that one too. But like, I don't like the TV Jones classics unless you put them in a maple neck super chief. Then it sounds like what you think it's going to sound like. But if you put them in a banshee, they're just kind of, eh, they don't, they don't have enough output or mid or any of that to be what you want that pickup to be. And I think it falls into that trap of like, you're going to think it's going to sound like a 6120, but you could not be more removed from that guitar wow. in a banshee. Yeah. But power trons to me are, are, I think when I get a customer, it's like, I don't want a P90. I kind of want a humbucker. I don't really want you want power trons. It's right down the middle of both. Yep. If you coil split them, it will do a pretty good impression of the classic. They go out of phase. It's one of their best sounds personally. Yeah, me too. Uh, they just do everything really well and they always do it every time. Yeah, that's uh, consistency you know, it's, again. Yep. The yeah, I have, uh, I, you know, I, as much as I say that, ironically, I have, do find that my two, you know, uh, I have a bunch of stuff with TV Jones, um, but I do have that banshee with cower buckers and my super chief has cower buckers and I do grab those slightly more, but it just depends on, well, when I used to go play with people who I was playing with, where I needed to be, but you know, in an all arounder, they're just so good. So I have like a super chief with power trons and then I built, uh, I have one of the four baritone super chiefs that we built. Oh man. Uh, and that has T Armin's in it, which is, I love the awesome in that guitar. Those oh, are, they sound are, so good the, in that the, thing. The gold foil ones are like the, 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 no, these are the, the TV Jones, the T Armin, oh, oh, the, yeah, they're yeah, D Armin. Yeah. I love those D Armin style. I love the old, um, yeah, and I, D Armin's like the, the early sixties yep. ones, like the black ones with the silver yep. poles. That's just yep. a great. That's style. what this style is. Yeah. yeah. And I, I wired this intentionally out of phase because, uh, being a baritone, I'm like, I don't need like that in phase middle sound, but out of phase, it's like a bass sticks, it's like that Motown yeah. all low bass sticks thing. And I just 
Yeah, I love, love that it. thing. I play it all the time. A lot of the kids are putting like rubber mutes and things in them yep. to give it that. That's like the, the hipster thing to do. Like it's, kind yeah. of, you know, make it kind of, you know, it's a cool thing. Yep. Well, one yep. of the other things we haven't even touched on, which I, I, we have to talk about your finishes because they are like on a level that it's just another world. I mean, it's, well, thank you. It's the art level. I mean, the, the finish, I mean, like even mine's got this, it's like staring into outer space when you, it's like, I mean, it's tell us a little bit about that process. I know there's a lot to it. Um, so yeah, finishing is the bane of my existence. Uh, and it's weird because like, obviously I've done this entire business by myself and I've done it as a part of the business. And like, I remember having discussions like I'm like, I don't know if there's any one particular part of guitar building that I would be happy to do just every day. Uh, But weirdly enough, I kept being stuck being the guy who paints because it's (laughs) so hard and it's so difficult to train people. And then like a lot of that, you know, I, when I first started doing, I was doing nitro because, you know, even though I'm in California at the time, it was, you know, one guitar a month or whatever. And then I kind of outpaced what I could kind of get away with spraying for that. And so I switched to acrylic lacquer and that went okay for a while. Those are really cowards uh, by that point. Um, and then like we ran into this thing of like, it would finishing always seems to be this way. It goes great for a year. And then I, I'm going to blame California, but it, whatever some new air requirement comes in. And at the time, Sherwin Williams changes their lacquer formula slightly. And all of a sudden you've got issues and you have no idea why. And then I tried water-based and that at the time, it's a much better product now. At the time, it wasn't quite there yet, though I wished it was because it was so nice to not be killed every day by what you're spraying. Uh, (laughs) And then I got onto 2K urethanes and I was so worried about when I had to switch to urethane because we just, we couldn't find a lacquer that worked. We couldn't spray nitro. I don't actually like nitro or lacquer in general. Um, and I was so worried that like, oh God, no one's going to buy our stuff anymore because it's not nitro. Nobody noticed. All we ever heard was like, wow, those finishes are better than ever. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm not using something that's 70 year old, years old that the state's trying to ban. Uh, you know, it's like, and so then we ended up on UV and we, and it was actually uh, one of the guys at Anderson who kind of hipped me on what Anderson was using specifically the product. Cause I was like still struggling to find like almost all of this, like building is okay. It's kind of weird. building guitars. is not hard. It's finding the right stuff to do is the hard part. Like the right tool or the right company for the, you know, so there's always like, that's the secret window at a certain point. Like, you know, who, who's your paint supplier? What, what products are you using? What's the process? And so Anderson, Taylor guitars, a lot of us use the same company, um, you know, and, and like once that unlocked, it became way less of a chore it became a little bit easier to teach to other people when they would have, you know, I'd have people that kind of come and go in the business and stuff, but I kind of ended up getting to a point where paint became de facto the, where I'm at every day. So I, the last couple of weeks where we've been trying to get the new CNC, then I shouldn't say new, it's six years old at this point or five years old, uh, finally get Banshee on the new CNC because, uh, the old ones, I think just kaput at this point. Like I've been really enjoying that because it's been kind of fun to do that again. And I enjoy making those little tweaks and improvements. And I, I've got it to the point where Diego, who does a lot of that, it's he can make he can get the last ten percent, get it over the finish line. And then, you know, I know enough to know how everything is structured and whatnot. So if he's not whatever. But finishing 
is my eight, my four day a week job. And actually right now it's a six day a week job because the person who was doing it with me for the last few years just left. Uh, and, and the new guy's catching up pretty good who was already starting on that before she left. But I, you know, I really enjoy it because it is funny how it is that step. Like you would think once the neck is carved and the thing is sanded out, that's when it looks like a guitar and it does, but it's when you put the finish and the color on it, uh, that suddenly you're like, okay, this thing's cool and it's exciting. And, uh, uh, I really enjoy it. it. It's also because the control freak in me, I, I always tell new employees, I'm like the number one rule of working for me is I don't like being yelled at by a customer. Uh, I really dislike that. I really, really dislike that. So if something gets out the door and I get yelled at and it was your job or the person or we did, we shined on the problem with that guitar through the process and it went out the door like that. I get very upset. And because, well, unfortunately, I mean, not unfortunately, you buy a guitar because one, you think it looks cool, has to like that's rule one. You're not going to buy something that doesn't look cool. Uh, (laughs) You know, then you grade it on how good is it look in terms of like fit and finish and then maybe how it sounds, but like you don't pull that thing off the wall if you don't like it first look looks wise, yeah. first of all. Uh, and so, you know, if that is the area that we kind of live or die by and it kind of became a point like, well, if I'm going to get yelled at with finish issues, it might as well be my finish issue and not somebody <laughs> else's. It's, uh, it's just stunning though. The co- the colors that you guys blend and the, and the, and the sparkles and the, I mean, it's just so beautiful. I mean, I, I, I don't see it like when every, I've, I've, you know, I, I stalk your Instagram page and I'm like, Oh my sure. God, what is that? And you guys come up with these cool names for the colors. Cause they're like, well, they're like nothing I've seen before. You know, that was one of the initial things. I'm- I'm sure some of that is because I grew up working on cars too. So I had kind of a deep background in that. That's it. Um, But like Nebula, Nebula is a finish that's kind of evolved. So, and it's, we either get to listen to my dog here occasionally. If I do this at the shop, it's constant interruption. So we'll have the dog here. Uh, (laughs) So Nebula started as, it's kind of, I get, okay, there are a handful of finishes that I get all the credit for and they either were customer ideas or dumb. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> so we did, I think it might've been back in the Titan days. We did a kind of the, like, I always like that black with the gold flex silver tone thing. Yeah. And we were doing a guitar like that for Scott all day. That was kind of inspired by that. And we, and it was the first nebula. This is, is the first nebula, his baritone banshee. And so I was like, Oh man, that'll be a really cool finish combo. I think it'll be really neat. We'll do black. We'll do the gold flex in it. Well, the thing about metal flake is metal flake is like the scabies of guitar finishing. Once you've sprayed it, <laughs> it never leaves the shop. It never leaves the spray gun. It ne- it's just it's just a glitter bomb. That, I mean, no matter how much we do, you're always going to find it. So we have one spray gun that it's just a it's not a shitty gun, but it's it's only job is to have metal flake blow through it, and you can never get it totally clean again. So I was like, man, you know, I, I was joking with Andrew at the time, like we're going to do this thing, and because it's going to be like just a dusting of gold flake. I know there's going to be a red flake that lands in there. I know it. I know there's going to be some random color in that. And I thought maybe that's not the worst idea is to just lean into that. And then, so when I mixed that nebula and yours is a slightly different version because it's silver based, but like, uh, you know, usually we'll do like big gold, like and like physically big gold flakes and then the medium sized gold flakes. And then we mix like, 
whatever other random colors I had, red, blue, green, and uh, usually like a little bit of silver hollow flake, but just the micro flake, like the real tiny size. Wow. And so we'll kind of like mix it kind of heavy on the big gold because it doesn't spray very well. And then we just like a pinch of the other ones and stir it up. And then you just dust it on. And the trick with that finish we've learned over time is put on more than you think. Because you're always trying to like walk up to the line of not having it be metal flake. Yeah. Uh, you want it to be dusted. But it's always if you stop, it's like when you think you're there, go two more times quickly and then stop. Because it kind of dissipates. It doesn't dissipate. It just dissolves. won't stand up. Or it's, yeah, uh, it kind of blends a little bit. Blends, yeah. Um, and so it's kind of neat because they take on their own character and stuff. And then like yours i think was the first time we did that with silver with the silver gretsch style binding oh man so we did the same treatment but we used silver flake instead of the gold uh, and then different lights like in different lights and different photographs like where wherever Mm -hmm. i'm sitting or a different position it's it's the guitar like it it changes it's like it's like yeah it's it's not the same yeah well and the funny thing is we started calling that nebula because i realized we used the correct name too early uh, so we do this finish. It's basically like a, you know, Colleen's dog hair or a, you know, TV black finish, but we do it with blue filler instead of white. Uh, and, and it's, uh, we call that starry night. And so when we were trying to come up with the name I for the that. nebula fish, I was like, you realize this should probably be starry night. And the other one should probably be nebula, but it was too late. <laughs> Man, I, 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 that, that guitar, I, I mean, I, I, I I can't tell people that are listening to this um, how much of a life changing thing it is to own and use that guitar daily, and that's why I had to have you on here because I'm, I just you know I'm I, I it's there's no really words I can express. Well, my, I appreciate my gratitude that. for for all you've done, and um, it's and people need it's to kind know of one about of those things. Guitars. Uh, well, I, I appreciate that. I you know it's funny. You know, the shop is fairly nondescript. It's in a commercial, you know, kind of just run the mill commercial place. I don't, it does not say guitars on the door yeah. anywhere. Like we, we try to keep kind of a low profile. Um, not, not like yeah from the law, but like, just, I don't want to advertise, you know, for smash and grab type reasons. Yes. And, and so like we get like random delivery drivers. When are we going to do, we never for sure we get a new driver. This happens, but like, People come in, they're like, oh, man, I didn't know you built guitars. And, and like, yeah, you know, it's the best form of poverty. They're like, all you need is somebody famous to play your stuff and you'll make it. And I'm like, I have lots of famous people. I have way more famous people uh, playing my guitars than I have any right to. Uh, I, I have, especially like Sacramento is not the music stop up here. Like yeah. it's the city or, you know, whatever. And like, so it's not like Nashville where they're just you know, throw yeah, a rock and hit somebody or you're, yeah, you know, uh, and so, you know, we've had these amazing things. I'm like, what artists do for us is like, they don't make us rich. 99.99999% of our customers are people with jobs and kids and whatever, you know, sure. that's who pays their bills. Artists, it's nice for us. What artists do is they take our guitars and then they go play in 200 yep. different climates a year. Yep. And then they tell me, Hey, this did great or this didn't do great. And then we make those adjustments. And then we have days. I had the very first guy who ever played our stuff. I mean, this is like power number seven, uh, was a guy who's a blues guitar player named Michael Burke. And he was just the most sweetheart dude. I wasn't even doing the business full time. yet. I was still working part time for my dad and then working hour after hours, building guitars. And I remember this story. To, I mean, exact. So my birthday is in May. And it's like around Memorial Day weekend. So it's already a million degrees in Sacramento. 
uh, and I'm working on my birthday and I had reached that age when nobody cares, right? Like, <laughs> like my dad cared cause he knew, it was, you know, but I was still working that day for him. And like, I remember like I got a phone call and it was like the a secretary to our insurance agent. Like I couldn't even get my actual insurance agent to call and wish we had, he made it, you know, like, okay. It's, it's not that I need that, but it was just like, it was that age. It was like in my mid twenties or late twenties. Like when that said, so like, no, one, like, but Mike called me and it was like three thirty or four in the afternoon. It was, I was, because my dad did cabinets. So we had like a big trailer that we would load to go to a drop site. So we're like loading stuff in the trailer. And it's like a million degrees in there. And I'm just miserable trying to run down the clock so I can go build another guitar after work and get this thing done. And Mike called me from Italy on tour, uh, to just be like, Hey man, just want to wish you a happy birthday. And this guitar is doing great and having a great, you know, people constantly asking me about it. And, and like, really, I'm like, that is what, more often than not, that guy, especially because, especially early on, I mean, it's not that. Again, with uh, today's Instagram posts, which we do need to get back to, but uh, uh, <laughs> like, I would just have a day where I'm like, "This sucks. I'm, I can't figure out why this is not going right. I'm struggling with this, or I'm starting over on this. And just this is stupid. I shouldn't even be doing this for a living." He would have this sixth sense, and I would get that phone call at that moment, mm-hmm. and it would be enough to get you through. I, I totally relate to that as a producer, you know, when somebody, you know, sends you an email and says, you know, their, their, their mom cried when they heard the song or, you know, the, these are the things that, you know, it's, yep. it's, it's a little affirmation of your, your diligence and hard work and caring about people is, it's like, yeah. it, it helps push the needle, you know, and it keeps us it's, going. You know, it's so hard. Cause, uh, I mean, it's like any, any kind of art. I mean, music and 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 like i mean i have a business and we make a product but it is hard for me not to take it personally when somebody's not happy or somebody you know arbitrarily gets hung up on some detail and flags the whole thing and so it's very like i've had to like i don't ever look at what used cowards are for sale i don't, I don't want to know you know i try to uh, uh you know because it's hard like yeah I mean, we've, we've, we did 250 guitars last year. We've built, uh, we probably are closing in on between Titan and Cower 1800 guitars. Now I still know most of them. Like I get people who will call me up and like, Oh, I bought this daylighter and it's like the Ninja Turtle green one. I'm like, Oh yeah, I know that one. How do you know that one? And I'm like, cause it's the only one that was ever like that. Like I, I it is reaching a point with like caddy green banshees. I'm like, you're going to have to be more. There's a lot of those. Like there's a few combos we do a lot of, but I'm like, no, I, I still remember most of these. And like, it's like a family. It's hard to, it's like, that's yeah, what, that's it's what's hard so to different. not be yeah. upset. That's, that's, that's what it felt like with me too, is like yeah. you know, becoming part of a family. And I think that's one of the, the coolest things about your company is like, and you know, it's just amazing. And I, I really want people to check them out. I think we'll, we'll get some nice pictures in when we do the, the trailer and stuff, make sure, sure. show people some stuff. And I, I look forward to seeing you at uh Nam. Yeah. We haven't had that for a few years. Now. I miss it. It's so time. we'll see. It's time. Yep. <laughs> hey man, it's been so great to have you on here. I'm really excited yeah. to, for people to hear about these guitars and people on my Instagram comment all the time. I get people ask me about it all the time. It's like, well, we really appreciate you constantly sharing too. Oh, man, it it makes it. makes my life easy. I just got to hit reshare and I'm all done. <laughs> <laughs> well, wonderful, man. We look forward to uh, seeing you in M or wherever. And uh, yep. we'll, we'll get, we'll get out more, as much as we can help to get these guitars out in the world. I mean, you're doing amazing. It's just, I'm, I'm really excited for you and thank you so much. Well, I, mean, thank I learned you. a lot today. I mean, there's a lot of details. I mean, you know, 
that's a lot of new information for me. I, um, I will go on for hours. If you have to kill a session, I'll give you a whole other hour of in nerd detail. Talk about it. No, I, it's I, cool. I'm enjoying it's, the nerds. It's really the nerdy cool. part. Well, I think, I think there's a lot of <laughs> detail oriented people follow our studio secrets. So I think it's going to be a good sure. match. We look forward to the, the next time. We'll do it again sometime. Yeah. All right, Sounds Doug. great, but well, I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thank care. you. Bye. This is Anthony J. Resta signing off uh, for Studio Secrets A to Z. Thanks for coming, and we'll see you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.